Hello, and welcome to Fit for Future Utilities, Arcadis's podcast exploring what utilities need in order to be fit for future. I'm Stephanie Kay, and we wrap up the series today with Workforce, coming up in this episode. Whether you're looking at operators, whether you're looking at the engineers, um, and then even those who end up going into management, we still have an issue in terms of training and diversity in STEM education. Um, and so that's a challenge in figuring out how do we better engage with these underrepresented populations in these fields so that we can address the issues of diversity in our workforce. I think it's also important to recognize how we teach the next generation to how to be those consultants, how to be utility workers. Oftentimes in schools, it's just like, this is how you treat a plant, this is how you do this, but well, how do you actually understand how to problem solve and it's not just a water quality issue, right? How do you solve other um, issues in that space? We'll hear from two subject matter experts to find out how the utility workforce of the future differs from the traditional water workforce and how utilities can implement changes now to build a diverse workforce that helps foster better relationships within the communities they serve. Plus, we'll examine some workforce success stories today on Fit for Future Utilities. From my experience and my perspective, I'd say that traditionally utility, especially water utility workforce, has been more um, aligned with, uh, I guess, a, a linear and disciplinary silos, if you will, with, I think, minimal understanding of how different work streams operate. Dr. Maya Carrasquillo is a management consultant at Arcadis and works on the planning side of engineering projects. Among other interdisciplinary skill sets needed to meet future utility challenges, she notes the recent cyber attack in Florida when a city's water treatment system was breached through its control systems as an example of the need for a water workforce more grounded in technology. In terms of skill sets as well, thinking more recently about the cyber attack that happened in Oldsmar, Florida, also recognizing that there's a need for traditionally trained water engineers, water technicians, um, operators, to be more grounded in computing and IT technology um, to not only prevent those types of incidences from happening in the future because they are inevitable at this point, but also just so that we're better prepared and thinking through more technical solutions because that aspect does run a lot of our utilities. And then also thinking less on the skill set side of things, but also just looking at the diversity across the workforce. You know, the Brookings report demonstrated that the water workforce is predominantly white male and pretty senior, right? And so as we're transitioning into a new workforce and recognizing different needs to serve the populations in which our utilities are based, recognizing that the utilities themselves need to be reflective of that. And so um, more diverse racially, more diverse ethnically, and more diverse across age categories as well. Um, I think there's a, a huge gap in terms of training. And so you know, making sure that as we're transitioning this next generation in, that they're able to, you know, maintain the systems the same way some of these older um, and longtime operators and technicians have as well, but also they're bringing in this new skill set that we already talked about. Dr. Zakia Seymour is an expert management consultant at Arcadis with experience around workforce planning and development. She says that while the industry recognizes technology and data will take center stage, too few utilities are prepared to attract specialized roles like data scientists to water. In some cases, they aren't trying at all. Uh, we did a scan across the state of Georgia just looking at to see kind of who's hiring who, what are they hiring for, what does that look like, and Interestingly, we were just trying to say everybody's talking about, you know, data, data, data. I was like, well, who's actually hiring data scientists, right? Out of all of the almost over 400 recs we looked at, there were only two that were looking at data scientists. So it's like, okay, so if we're telling ourselves that we want to be 
technology focus have we know the advancements that are coming in technology when it comes to the water industry what are we actually doing to hire those people right never mind when you talk about data scientists water is not the only industry that they have to work in right you've got things like you know the googles and the amazons of the world like how do we make water industry sexy for those individuals right so you've got those skill sets improved techniques for leveraging talents could be key to one of the biggest challenges of the workforce evolution retaining institutional knowledge utilities need to capture a vast amount of expertise from current leaders and prepare for a more mobile workforce in the future Oftentimes, we in the workforce industry, we focus so much on retirement, the silver tsunami, right? Um, but people, we also need to recognize that people aren't staying in the sector as long as they used to. People were saying previously, research shows, it, you know, employee tenure was about, you know, 10 plus years. But now it's really dropping down almost, uh, you know, a third to like seven, I'm sorry, 25% uh, to seven and a half years. So you have this desire and you'll see, it, you know, in the consulting space, you'll see it in the utility space, you'll see where people are constantly flipping back and forth or they're, you know, getting in and getting out of the space. So when you think about what does that look like from a knowledge transfer perspective, focusing on when you hire someone, you know, when you recruit someone, you know, if we say automatically that person is going to be leaving the organization in three years, how does that change how we onboard that person? How does that change how we retain knowledge of that individual? How do we actually develop um, SOPs about that? I think we need to start also looking from that perspective as well. Another change the water sector needs to make is creating a more diverse workforce. But limited technical training among diverse populations is preventing utilities from seizing the productivity and innovation benefits of employing a workforce that reflects the customer base. Um, whether you're looking at operators, whether you're looking at the engineers, um, and then even those who end up going into management, we still have an issue in terms of training and diversity in STEM education. Um, and so that's a challenge in figuring out how do we better engage with these underrepresented populations in these fields so that we can address the issues of diversity in our workforce. There's also too, you know, when you think about some of the challenges in terms of equitability and training, things that we don't necessarily think about very often, but can be a huge barrier to someone even seeing a possibility of getting work in this space. Right. So let's say someone like there's transit accessibility issues. Let's say someone, you know, who once has training to be an operator can't access the utility. Well, that's not going to be a job that they see themselves able to work in because of basic, you know, life limitations or just limited quality of life. And so I think that's really important to think about those things and how do we not only train, but also recognize that while we have it, it may not necessarily just be that there isn't a population that's technically competent, but that there's other barriers to accessibility, um, including transit, including education, as we've already talked about. And then, again, I think just recognizing that in terms of diversity, um, we really want to make sure that our utilities moving forward represent the communities that we serve. And so, again, thinking about how do we have more targeted approaches to STEM education and training at all, again, across all levels of representation in the utility. In general, utilities need to be more active about advertising career opportunities. Zakia believes COVID-19 was a missed opportunity for building a talent pipeline. Yeah, we pretty much stated our claim to be essential workers within this pandemic, right, to not have our customers nor our ratepayers go without access to water. And we have come to several inflection points within our work, right? So whereas the industry was primarily, you know, everyone has to go to work, you have to clock in from nine to five, you know, telework is now the new normal in uh, non-mission critical spaces. 
we're constantly having things like you know virtual interviews and onboarding taking place um, in virtual spaces you know and then also just having these digital tools to actually help people in those spaces to come on board and then equipping the staff to be to be filled ready but even with COVID's push to have us claimed as essential workers I didn't really see any um, water utilities talk about, you know, all the jobs we also have in this space. So I thought that was interesting because, you know, we we recognize our criticality, we recognize that our employees are essential. At the same time, it's almost like it's we missed an opportunity to increase the public's awareness about what we could do and what we actually do do in water and all the the things that it's possible. Um, as we look at the future of water in this space. Maya notes that even for interested candidates, finding open positions can be difficult. The sector could benefit from more partnerships between utilities and partner organizations. There's an aspect of training, there's an aspect of hireability, and then job availability. So the first piece about training, when you think about all of the different pieces that kind of come together, a lot of training, especially on the operator side, is typically done by nonprofits. So thinking about how do all these different pieces come together? Um, how can firms like Arcadis provide training or support training efforts um, with utilities? You know, how can we utilize nonprofits that are local to the area that know the jobs available, that know the partners, that know um, you know different spaces within the cities or utilities themselves that that can help hire. And then the role of the utilities is figuring out how do we have, you know, do we have spaces where people can be hired? And I think trying to navigate through that space, especially as we're recognizing the increasing need in the workforce and some of those gaps in terms of technical training, you know, the aging workforce, many people are retiring, just recognizing that there are those gaps. And I think one of the biggest challenges is figuring out how do we work in a way that allows for each of these different players to support not only the training, but also making sure that once people are trained, there's a space for them to go in the utilities. And depending on how big or small the utility is, those jobs may or may not be available, but there is a need. And so also recognizing too, from the standpoint of governmental funding or even private sector, how do we support financially so that there can be more opportunities available for full-time positions or part-time positions to support the work that's needed? Um, again, with the with the vulnerability that we're seeing within the utilities in terms of the infrastructure itself, and then also again just the workforce in general. To make matters more difficult, the path from university to utility isn't a straight line. So, say for instance, if I'm a young entry-level employee, I've decided I wanted to do a life of public service by working for you know municipality or a, a ward utility, you know, it's it's really hard for me to find a job as a young person. Basically, the, the utilities have it set up right now where you actually have to go outside to come back inside. So then also just if you think about that, setting yourself up for the future, how does that look like? How do we actually use that experience for individuals? So, you know, you've got a lot of internships. How do you make those internships actually full-time positions? What does that look like in the transition rate for that as well? So, you typically find actually, if we think about, you know, where people can go for these entry-level positions, they actually are in the consulting space primarily, um, specifically for individuals who have uh, their undergraduate degree or possibly their master's degree. But if it's if they have their GED or their high school, it's primarily for going directly to a water utility. And even in those positions, those positions are primarily those operator-based positions. So it's the treatment operators, um, it's the distribution, it's collection operators in that space as well. And so if they wanted to have upper mobility in those spaces and get upskilled, then there's also a process in there. Ideally, we want utilities to kind of help them also get gain that skill set as well 
if they wanted to switch over from just being an operator, but then being more on the, on the um, another side of the utility. I think we need to invest in these educational communities to help build recognition and awareness, and then further the pipeline we discussed. I think it's also important to recognize how we teach the next generation to how to be those consultants, how to be utility workers. Oftentimes in schools, it's just like, this is how you treat a plant, this is how you do this, but well, how do you actually understand how to problem solve and it's not just a water quality issue, right? How do you solve other um, issues in that space? And then I think specifically as consultants, you know, we're here to serve, um, we're here to advise, to assist. And I think we have the ability from our perspective because we work with so many different water utilities to look at best practices of them and not just water utilities, right? It's it's water utilities, but also non-water utilities or non-water organizations, but being able to look at those best practices and help our clients determine which ones work best for them and help implement them. Some of the mission critical positions that we have in water, you know, for instance, electricians, if you will, you know, everybody's trying to hire electricians. If you look at the electricians workforce development and how people are trying to do that, um, with the DOE, and you'll see that, you know, this is also a critical hire, but, you know, it's not just water that they can work in, they can work in many spaces, right, the power industry, but, you know, how do we, how much are we taking those best practices when it comes to looking at the ecosystem partners, looking at building pipelines and bringing that into the water space. I think that's super important. Maya earned her PhD at the University of South Florida. She has firsthand experience with the university's approach to workforce development. The priority to train globally competent engineers was very core to the work that we did in our research and also through our curriculum as a whole. And being a graduate student, there's a little bit more flexibility, but going to a university like USF that is very interdisciplinary in the research that's done, it was easy to take courses in different disciplines and helped me have a better understanding of how, even though my degrees are in engineering, it still fits within a larger context and a larger conversation. And so being able to kind of understand, again, across disciplines, how do others think about these same challenges and how can we lend insights from how they view these same challenges, how they approach these same challenges, and really the scientific method that supports them, how can that inform our work as engineers and vice versa? And so that was a really critical part to my time at USF. I'm considered amongst some of my colleagues an honorary anthropologist because of some of that interdisciplinary work that we had a chance to do. And so I would argue that, you know, from that experience as a student there, it helped me gain a different perspective of what it means to be an engineer and what our role is more broadly. And I think many of my colleagues would probably agree that going into um, the workforce post-graduation has allowed us the flexibility to see challenges or to see challenges and solutions a little differently than some of our peers. And so I think there's something to USF's training and that, again, they prioritize this experience of, at least within, you know, our departments, you know, it was a priority to focus on gleaning those insights from different disciplines. And I think as we recognize even post-2020, some of the complex challenges that we're going to face and the complex challenges that utilities are facing and how does that lend itself to, you know, how can we actually solve those challenges? Because those challenges are so complex, our curriculum and our training should be equally as robust, lest we fall short of really being able to get to the core of some of those experiences and those challenges and, and dealing with solutions that um, have a little bit more longevity to them. So programs like USF really are good and I think really going to be critical for the next generation of utility leaders and um, workforce because these, again, these challenges are so complex that 
they require um, a complex way of thinking to be able to solve them. And USF's training really did help provide that, or at least give us the start to thinking about some of these challenges from that same perspective. Maya is also a two-time scholar of the Water Environment Federation's Introducing Future Leaders in Water program, or INFLOW. By piquing candidates' interest in water, INFLOW and similar organizations deepen the talent pool across the sector. I think there's something to programs like Inflow where it's that firsthand exposure. You know, you have companies like Arcadis that were investing so much of their time and resources to support um, that pipeline of getting young, very capable, um, diverse populations of students from these different disciplinary backgrounds, many from engineering, many from other backgrounds as well, into the water sector, into jobs at Arcadis, into different um, utility jobs, just that exposure is really important because it's one of those, you know, if you don't see it, you don't know that you can be it. And I think because the water sector is one of the water utilities, especially um, because the work that we do, although we all, you know, are beneficiaries of the work that we do every single day, because of that, I don't think we actively think about it. And so it's it's a very well-kept secret in terms of, again, the opportunities that actually exist and the the of opportunities that exist within the water sector, that inflow is a really good introductory program for many of us. And I think, you know, many of us have gone on to, to have jobs within Arcadas, within different utilities, and, you know, in the water sector in general with a, with a level of excitement that I don't think would have been there if inflow was not a program that we had the opportunity to participate in. So that was very cool to see that. And I do think, again, that, you know, expanding programs like Infolo, even beyond WEF, but just recognizing that the water sector, water utilities, it's not necessarily a space that people actively think about going into. And so unless people know that they that those opportunities are available, it'll likely be another space where we won't see that level of diverse representation just because many of us wouldn't necessarily know others who are in that space unless we're sought after or vice versa. On the utility side, D.C. Water and the City of Atlanta Department of Watershed Management have had success finding and supporting talent. Maya credits both agencies' success to local training partnerships. D.C. Water has kind of been like a template for a lot of utilities, um, you know, in terms of how to do not just training, but a more or attempted equitable approach to not just stakeholder engagement, but also, you know, training and, um, and making sure that there's partnerships across the board to support the work that they're doing as a utility. I think the difference from DC Water to another example that comes to mind is the city of Atlanta's Department of Watershed Management is that, you know, DC Water is private utility versus a city-owned utility. And I do think one of the differences that I've seen just even between these two um, spaces in general is they're working actively with local partners to support training. So again, like utilizing and, and I guess leaning on some of these nonprofit groups to, to really support that training that's already taking place. And so, you know, how do we support training that can help happen um, in the water sector specifically and not just broad training, but, you know, how do we train people to actually be, you know, operators or wastewater technicians? So depending on the local nonprofits is the first thing. And then another I think they both use different funding models, and I, that's one of the bigger challenges, too, across utilities is that they're under-resourced, which leads to how understaffed they are. And, you know, at least with the city of Atlanta, you know, they've been able to um, rely a lot on impact, um, environmental impact bonds and more private funding. And I think in terms of a model or just examples, being able to figure out how can we depend a little bit more on these public-private partnerships to support that funding 
so that it's no longer, it, it helps to fill in that gap in terms of how under-resourced some of these utilities are. Both examples have very active partnerships with local nonprofits and different organizations to support the actual training. And again, what I mentioned earlier about making sure that there's actually jobs available is a big piece of that too. And not just jobs, but finding spaces where there's you know long-term careers that are available in this space. I think that's one of the real selling points of the water sector. It's not very attractive to a lot of people, but at the same time, I think there's a lot more job security. And especially in post-COVID times when a lot of people have lost jobs and you know, availability to consistent streams of income, I think it's really important that we um, recognize that there that is an attractability component to it. And that, you know, once we have people who are trained, um, making sure that there's jobs available and that there can actually be a sustainable careers, I think, is one piece that can help fill in some of those gaps in terms of, you know, our workforce vulnerability. Zakia says that as utilities embark on their own journeys to sourcing new talent, using data to remain agile will be key. Just being Agile and innovative as an organization is super key when we think about how to do your long-term planning. You know, the organization should be structured such that they suit the utility's needs and it adopts when it's no longer needed, right? So then again, just looking at how we recruit, how we retain employees, how they are retired out of the space. They utilities are in this space where they haven't had the ability to have to think about this a lot, right? Because they've been able to have employees that stay for such a long time. So it's not a, a, not not the, the biggest thing to, to think about, right? And then also, you know, we have chronic vacancy within water. I don't know any water utility that's not trying to hire an operator, be it a treatment operator, distribution collection. Everyone's trying to hire these mission critical positions. And you see these chronic vacancies in that space. And just recognizing, you know, what does that look like when one utility is poaching from another utility in the same region, right? You know, what does that look like for the hiring practices for the region, never mind just the utility, but having a regional approach in that space because people are moving, right? And then, you know, just as I mentioned before, with data being everywhere, you know, data rules everything around us, right? But what do we actually do in the water space to to help with that space? And ideally, hopefully, looking at all of those things to be able to say, okay, we know that we want to increase awareness. We know that data is everywhere around us. We have these mission critical positions. What do we actually need to do to build a workforce pipeline that's specifically related to water, something that I'm interested in? Thanks for listening to the Fit for Future Utilities podcast series. Check out our other episodes to hear how innovation, resilience, intelligent water, and advanced asset management are keys to a fit for future utility. To learn how Arcadis is improving quality of life in communities around the world, visit www.arcadis.com.